0: Why doesn't the world hear us? I can come up with a couple answers off the top of my head. The first is that, well, because we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. And someday, uh, sometime in the near future or distant future, we'll have to deal with that. We won't this morning. The second thing that I can think of pretty much off the top of my head is because they see us and they don't see much or any difference between us and them. And I want to look at that a little bit this morning and ask the questions, first of all, what if we took Jesus seriously? And the companion question to that is what if we lived out the golden rule? Jesus said, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. He wasn't the first person to say that. There are, I believe I read, eleven Uh, previous examples in in literature of people who have said or written The Golden Room, if you will. But every one of those previous editions of The Golden Room are stated in the negative. Uh, Each one of them says something like this. Don't do to others as you would not want them to do to you. And there's a world of difference between what Jesus says and what they say. And Jesus' version of the Golden Rule is by far the more difficult one. Our culture has its own versions of the Golden Rule. One goes, well, you have said it, I'll bet you. I'll bet you you have said this. Hopefully you have said it in just, in jest. you said something on the order of do unto others before they do unto you. But then we have another one in our culture that goes like this. Do unto others as they have done unto you. I was, I had just read through this passage for the first time and preparing to, to preach from it. And, and uh, my mind was wandering. I was kind of thinking about the, the passage a little bit and, and then I got all confused and I said, I'm going to go just take a break. And I picked up a magazine, a local magazine, and I was just leafing through it. In the first six, eight, ten pages, it was this ad, upper right corner, quarter page ad, upper right corner, the, on the right-hand page where you can't miss it. It's sort of a black block. In the middle of it, there was a, a red car. And the left front fender was crumbled and the hood and the, the grill and all that was crumbled up And and it was framed by this, you know, just set in the middle of this big black box. Emblazoned above it in old white letters were the words, Get even. Call Stephen. And below, of course, was the uh, phone number of the uh, law firm uh, that that sponsored the ad. Here comes Jesus. And as we saw last week, he stands both his cultures and our cultures, ethics, on their head. He turns everything upside down. He's given us, Jesus' followers, four radical ethical imperatives. So that's three words important. Important radical ethical imperatives. He makes no suggestions here. He's not even exhorting his followers. Every word is a command. Every, every everything he says there, every is a command from Jesus Christ himself. And what Jesus commands those who would Follow him who dare call themselves disciples or Jesus followers is this love your enemies, and everything else he says flows out of this. Indeed, it's the heart of New Testament ethics. It's not unrelated to the Old Testament commandment in Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But notice something the neighbor is one of your own people. There's no pro- prohibition on vengeance against those outside your own people. They didn't qualify as your neighbor. Notice this too. The enemies we're to love are active ones. Hating, cursing, abusing, hitting, taking, begging, robbing. All against us. And so Jesus says that we're to be actively loving them. Not just holding good, benevolent feelings towards them and occasionally expressing them verbally or some way, but actively engaged in loving them. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, that's kind of a sissified version, I understand. The Greek probably is better understood. The one who socks you on the jaw or in the jaw, then you turn the other. You offer them the other. From one who takes away your cloak or your outer garment, give him your tunic, undergarment, T-shirt. Or if he takes your blazer, give him your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. Even, even a dirty guy on a corner by the traffic Don't demand one who robs you. Don't demand that he return your stuff. Why would anyone in his right mind adopt such a radical, someone said, otherworldly ethic? Why? I can give you a half dozen reasons. In fact, I will give you a half dozen reasons why. The first one is this. Jesus says so. should be all we need. Jesus commands it. Every one of those statements he makes is a command. One of which is repeated. Love your enemies. He says twice so we don't miss it. He begins and ends with love your enemies. Now let me ask you a question. Honest question. Do you love Jesus? I'm dead serious. I'm almost going to ask for a show of hands, but I won't. Do you love Jesus? What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commands. One of which is love your Enemies. In all of these ways that I just read. That's number one. Number two, if you do anything else but adopt this ethic, you lose. If you love those who love you, so what, Jesus says. And if you do good to those who do good to you, so what. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, so what? Sinners do that. Sinners do all those things. The world says that, look, those are good things to do good. Someone's done good to you, etc., cetera, et cetera, Those are good things. And if you do those good things, you're a good person. And that's not entirely wrong. I mean, if you do bad things to someone who does good to you, that's not good. And doing good in those sorts of situations may well seem good. Beneficial. And they may be at the time. But in the end, in the end, you move you wind up looking just like all the other sinners. And Jesus demands from Jesus' followers something radically different. He holds you and me to a higher standard. We're not to be like those others in this regard. Third reason for adopting such a radical ethic. You will reap eternal benefit. Jesus said, your reward will be great. And he had just said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. The writer to Proverbs wrote, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Then he says something really weird. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That sounds like the opposite of what Jesus is saying, but it's really not. That idea of heaping burning coals on his head, the idea is that by your kindness, by your loving mercy to him, with food and drink, you'll see the error of his ways and turn from them. In other words, it's another way of speaking of repentance, of what would bring a man to repentance. And if you do that, You have a great reward. Fourth, you reveal yourself to be a child of God, a true Jesus follower. And you notice what it says. It doesn't say you will become a son of God, but you will be. That is to say, you will manifest the fact that you are indeed a child of God. That God is active in your life. That God has brought you to himself through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't become by doing good. You do good because you are. And it shows the radical work of God, the Holy Spirit, within you, bringing you to Jesus, to a new and living and vital relationship with him. Fifth, in doing that you manifest the character of God himself who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Which brings me to number six. You adopt such a radical, otherworldly ethic. Because you yourself have been on the receiving end of God's mercy and kindness. You were once among the ungrateful and evil. And don't you forget it. Don't you ever lose sight of that. That's what we were. That's what we're still capable of being. we're honest with ourselves and honest before God, it just shows up every once in a while. We're not totally done with it, but God is kind and merciful. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We love to quote that. You have to ponder that, to meditate on it. Remember this. It cost him his son nailed to a cross in your place for your sin, for your salvation. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his blood. For if while you and I were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Resurrection life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We who were His enemies, who were at enmity with God, have been brought near to the cross of Jesus Christ and are reconciled to God who now calls himself our Father and us his dear children. So Jesus says, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And I say, be merciful even as our Father has been merciful to you and to me. And he shows his mercy in the cross and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Two closing points of application. First, Jesus was here addressing, remember, his disciples. A crowd of other people were there, but it was his disciples he was looking at, his disciples to whom he's speaking. Men who knew poverty, hunger, sorrow, and persecution. Don't leave out those last words on account of the Son of Man I I don't believe Jesus is here first of all first of all he is but not first of all issuing an absolute universal ethic but rather he's saying how Jesus followers should respond when they are called to suffer for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. It presupposes that you and I are active in our following of Jesus to the degree that we even incite active opposition. Not to us, not because we have been obnoxious in our living for Jesus, The sake of Jesus, the name of Jesus, as we lift it up, as we tell others the truth. At some point, to some degree, we're going to know opposition. What I'm saying is, we've returned to last week's question. If you were here last week, you know what the question is. How far. Will you follow Jesus? And don't answer that. Yet. Don't answer that. Listen to Paul. Before you answer, he wrote to the Corinthians We are fools for Christ's sake. We are weak. We hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, how far were you? Jesus. Second point of application remember my opening question why doesn't the world hear us? Because all too often we fail to love others as Jesus has loved us. But, what if, what if they saw something different in us? What if they experienced our unconditional love? What if they saw God's mercy? in us. Better yet, if they experienced God's mercy from us.